yes, this is a flower, and yes, today is Mother's Day. And I hope that that's not news to you, because if today, if you are feeling caught off guard that it is in fact Mother's Day, you perhaps do not have a flower ready, but I got your back. Here at Desert Springs Bible Church, we're all about looking out for each other. And for those of you who perhaps forgot that you were supposed to pick up flowers today, I want to inform you that out on the patio after service, our Adventure Kids Ministry will be selling these, and all the proceeds will help send uh, our Adventure Kids to camp. Uh, As many of you know, uh, inflation has uh, gone up, the cost of camps continues to go up, and we want to make sure that every kid that wants to go to camp gets to go to camp. And so buy some flowers today on the patio. Help send a kid to camp and save your own bacon. How's that sound today? Now, uh, the other thing I wanted just to point out with this flower is uh, this deep truth. So when you guys see flowers handed off today, I want you to remember this deep truth, that we are a people of tradition, that we are a people of ritual, we're a people of ceremony, we are a people of rites and routines. This flower, for me at least, as I think about today, has been a reminder that uh, not only, uh, oh yeah, I got to go get some flowers, but that compulsion comes from a space that's deep within us. We are a people of tradition. People, no matter who you are or where you're coming from, we practice traditions. Sometimes we do so um, consciously, sometimes we're participating in practices, traditions, ceremonies, subconsciously, but we are a people of traditions. And so here's my question for you today. Are the traditions, routines, rites, ceremonies that you practice life-giving or life-taking? Are the routines, the the rites, the rituals, the practices, the traditions that, that you participate in something that leads to human flourishing or exclusion? Are the rites, traditions, practices, and routines that you hold on to and value dearly, are they leading to the glorifying of God or the glorification of the self? As we explore our text today, I hope that you'll meditate on those questions, and as you see the flowers given later today, just maybe check in with that question. Uh, Are the traditions that I hold life-giving or life-taking? Are they something that invites other people in or something that keeps people out? We are a people of traditions, and today we're going to continue on in a study in the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in chapter 7 today, and we're going to look at a time where Jesus engages actually in a confrontation with some religious leaders about tradition, rituals, and rites, and then actually kind of peels back some layers as to how these rituals, rites, and traditions are used to exclude people, and then we're going to get to one of the most difficult sayings of Jesus in the whole Bible, in my opinion. Does that sound exciting to you for Mother's Day? Good. I hope so, because we're not changing it now, okay? So, like, you know, this isn't an optional thing. So, Mark chapter 17, for those of you joining us online, if you have a print Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one or just go to Bible.com, and we're using the Christian Standard Bible. And for those of you joining in the room, uh, we have it printed out in the handout, but also uh, love for you to use a print Bible if you've got one or a digital Bible, whatever you have available. Again, Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through, I think we'll get to 30 today. We'll see how it goes. Okay, so I'm going to read through this. Remember that we're thinking about our traditions, our rites, our rituals, and how they are used to either give life or take life, how they're used to include or exclude. So let's take a look at Jesus here. He's going to have a confrontation with some religious leaders. It says that the, in, in verse 1, it says that the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with 
Drum roll, please. What, what do we think? So just, let's just notice. First of all, who's coming at Jesus? The Pharisees and some of the scribes, and they're coming all the way from Jerusalem. Okay, so these are uh, religious elites. These are people who know their Bible, what, what we call the Old Testament. They knew their scriptures, but they also had, you know, power structures and traditions and re- uh, re- religious ceremonies and rites, uh, much of which was really, really good. But these homies come down all the way from Jerusalem. Okay, so you're expecting some sort of like really important thing. Like what is the reason that they came all the way from Jerusalem uh, to observe the disciples doing? Okay, so this is like people flying in from headquarters, okay? So the leadership is flying in from headquarters all the way to catch Jesus' disciples doing what? They were eating bread? (gasps) That's not scandalous, is it? No, they're eating bread with what? Now, hold on to your seats. Okay, what would warrant these homies to fly all the way down from headquarters? They were observing that some, how many? Some, not all, some of the disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. Okay, listen, I know that you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. I really hope that you do. I hope that those who work in our hospitality ministry faithfully every week, I really hope they do as well. They prepare the coffee and the donuts and whatnot. But do you think that washing with like, un, like, like eating with hand, like you didn't use soap and water, do you think that warrants Pharisees and scribes, the, the religious elite, to fly in all the way from headquarters? Do you think that that is what this is about, hygiene? What do you guys think? Is this about hygiene or no? This ain't about hygiene, okay? This is about religious tradition. This is about a rite or ritual, so watch this. And actually, Mark's going to clue you in on it. So Mark says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless uh, they give their hands a ceremonial washing. That's what it's about. It's not about hygiene. It's about what? Ceremony. In keeping with the traditions of their elders, right? So they had a tradition that before you eat, you would, uh, you would kind of cup the water and you would ceremonially clean your hands. Now, it's, also, it's really, I mean, it's good to wash your hands. This is not an anti-hand-washing sermon. That'll be next week. But the, it, today, uh, what we're just focused on is there's a ceremony, and the ceremony was good. The ceremony actually came out of what we call the Old Testament. It came out of Scripture. It was designed to remind, it, was speci- it wasn't for everybody, actually. It was just for the priests. When they would enter into a holy space, they would do ceremonial washing. And the washing, again, was not about hygiene. It was about the heart. The ceremony was meant to remind the priest, in this instance, of who they were and how they were and who God is and how God is. Namely, that I'm an imperfect, broken vessel coming into the presence of the divine, and I'm not fit for that. I'm not, I'm not in and of myself, I'm not able to stand before God face to face, but yet he provided this means of the ceremonial washing. So I, if I was the priest, I would be reminding myself, again, it would be shaping me to remind me, that's right, there's a lot of things in this world that are not godly, and I'm going to wash that off of me ceremonially or uh, figuratively before I enter into the presence of God. You guys with me so far. So this was what the priests were to do. Now, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, they kind of, they took that idea, which is a really beautiful idea, I think, actually. Um, you guys know, like, uh, have you, you guys, um, is Leviticus your favorite book of the Bible? 
Okay, I, I, wanna, I want you to put it in your top 10, and here's why. If you just think deeply about our normal lives, we are people of tradition and ritual. And in Leviticus, you have a lot of tradition, ritual, uh, ceremonial uh, things happening that if you just kind of peel back the, uh, the layers, you'll notice something, that these ceremonies and rituals were actually shaping the hearts of the individuals and actually shaping the heart of the community. And so there's this, this beautiful ritual, but the problem was is that in the Pharisees, at least in this scene, they seem to have taken this beautiful ceremony and then projected it onto everybody. Notice the language, everybody. Nobody's allowed to eat unless everybody does what was instructed for the priest to do, right? So they took this, this tradition, this ceremony, but then it kind of got misused in a way that would keep some people out and invite others in. So you've got, uh, you've got Mark here saying, you know, this little excursus explaining why. Then it says, when they came from the marketplace, so again, Pharisees, uh, the Jewish people, they do not eat unless they have washed. Again, not hygiene ceremony. And there are many other customs they have received and keep. Like what? Let me ask you this. What else do you think they washed? So they washed their hands, like the washing of cups. Okay, Right? Like, we could see how that worked. Like, if we're going to wash our hands, but then we're going to put our lips on our cup, so, so let's ceremonially clean the cup. Does that, does that kind of make sense? I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? And, and pitchers, because that's what goes into the cup, and then kettles, because that also goes into the cup, and then, of course, dining couches. Wait, how do you... Does, is everybody seeing what I'm doing here? Have you guys ever seen, like, a ceremonial a washing, like, maybe um, dramatize it? They kind of cup the water in a certain way, and... Um, kind of wash this away. So I could imagine cleaning one's hands. I could imagine cleaning a cup. I could imagine cleaning a pitcher. I could imagine cleaning a kettle. How do you ceremonially clean a couch? Now, let's just notice that this is um, really gotten interesting. Evidently, some of the people in Jesus' day were literally dragging their couches out into the ceremonial cleaning pool, the mikvah, they're dragging their, their couches out to ceremonially wash it. So just imagine, right, you're like in your house, you're, you're having a cup of coffee, reading the paper, and, and outside of your house you hear, and, and, you, and someone in your house says, what, what's that noise? Oh, it's Jim. Yeah, he's, he's ceremonially going to be cleaning his couch today. Oh, Okay. Right, like, like, this is, okay, so, so I think that this is getting to a point where the tradition maybe has gotten a little bit out of hand. Can we agree with that maybe, Dining? I mean, unless, unless you think this is sane. Okay, so let's keep going. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the notice, the text? Why don't they live according to What? Our traditions. Why don't they live according to our traditions? Now, you guys, you already know that this is baked in every culture. So for those of you who grew up in America, I'm going to just, so I grew up here in Phoenix, grew up in, as an American, and, and in American culture, at least here in the Southwest. Uh, do you guys remember when you went to your first baseball game or football game? Did that ever happen to you guys? And, and inevitably, right, it's not written anywhere that I could tell. Like, I was not informed of this, but before the game actually started, something happened. There was like a little a tune that was familiar to me and, and some words that I didn't quite understand. Oh, say, can you see? By the dawns, or, and I'm just sitting there with my hat on, right? And inevitably, what happens? Someone's like, get that hat off. Stand up. Oh, right. Okay. So, 
So how, no one informed me of this, right? This has happened to you? Before every ball game here in America, what do we do? Oh, say can you, you guys, you guys want me to sing it? Buy all the flowers and we'll see you next week. And, and here's the deal. This is a tradition, right? This t- the standing hat off, hand over heart, singing of the national anthem, is that, a, is that a tradition? Come on, talk to me. It's a tradition, right? It's not like command, like I didn't walk in and they're like, hey, before the ball game starts, you are commanded to stand hat, you know, hat in hand and sing. It's not like that. It's just a thing that we're all doing. And here's, here's how I know that ritual is so powerful. Because uh, when we all stand up to do the song and someone isn't doing it, what's everybody doing? Can you believe this person? Look at them. What they're, 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 their hat is on. They're seated. Now what? Where is it written that it's a sign of respect, that, it's, that it is a transcendent truth, that to stand with hat off at the national anthem, uh, one's, uh, any nation's anthem, is a sign of respect and honor. We don't write that stuff down, we just do it. Hmm? Right? Is this fair? How about holidays? Okay, so um, have, you, have you ever experienced holidays with other people? Okay, I remember when my wife and I, when we got married and and inevitably, you know, of course, you know, for us at least, we're, we're celebrating Christmas together. And I remember that her family just did Christmas the wrong way. Like they did so many wrong things, right? Like Christmas Eve, obviously, is Peter Piper night, okay? These, 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 this, this group of people, they ate fish. This is not the way we do things around here. What's that? That's ritual, that's tradition, that's custom, right? That is the tradition of the elders. Are we not a traditional people? Are we not a people of ritual? So here's the question. Are our rituals life-giving or life-taking? Are our rituals God-glorifying or self-glorifying? Let's keep going. So Jesus gets after him. Eating bread with ceremonial unclean hands. Okay, so, Jesus, so they're accusing Jesus of having disciples that eat bread with ceremonially unclean hands. He answers them. Isaiah prophesied. So TV time out. Isaiah is a prophet that the scribes and Pharisees would have venerated. He was respected. And they had, they had read and heard the Isaiah scroll before. They knew this text. I think, this is conjecture, but I don't think that they ever appropriated the following words to themselves. They knew this Bible. They, they knew what Isaiah was about to say. Jesus is about to quote Bible at them and expect them, to, and he's, what he's going to do is he's going to apply it in such a way and say, uh, thou art the one. Okay, watch this. Real quick, um, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. Is, hip, is hypocrisy an issue for religious people? This idea of hypocrisy is to say, to say or front or, or have an outward appearance of one way, but have the inside be the opposite way or to be a different way, to, to, to not be a whole person, to, to some extent put on a mask or to, to present myself in a way that is actually different than what's going on inside. It's, it's hypocrisy. Uh, as it is written, remember this is Isaiah, he's going to be quoting here, to the Pharisees, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Dang, Tina. Teaching as doctrine human commands. 
So I'll just, uh, if I could do the, the baseball national anthem analogy. Taking a, a beautiful tradition of standing for the national anthem at the, at the baseball game, taking that and saying, God said to do it. Did you see? Jesus is not anti-tradition. Jesus is not anti-ritual. I believe that, in fact, you see it in the scripture. He engages with a lot of his people's rituals and traditions. But taking a ritual, tradition, ceremony, cultural expression, and elevating it to thus saith the Lord, that's the problem. Are we tracking? Okay. So when I look at my, uh, at my wife's family on our first Christmas, I was having an internal struggle because what was going on inside of me was they're not doing it the right way. Rather, what I failed to see was like, well, I have traditions, ceremonies, and rites, and they do too. And if I'm entering into their space, we've got to find a way to maybe make some new traditions, maybe adjust our, our ceremonies, maybe adjust our rituals so that we can actually be brought into community together. Keep going. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine human commands. Abandoning the command of God. You hold on to human tradition. Do you see what Jesus is saying? You have not only elevated your tradition, your, culture, your cultural expression, your rituals, your rites and routines, you've not only elevated them to God's commands, in so doing, you've actually shuttled God's commands. And here's what we know about the, the greatest commandment. Jesus got asked, Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? And he said this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so by elevating our traditions to God says, we are shuttling love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Are your traditions, rituals, and cultural expressions, ceremonies, are they life-giving or are they life-taking? Are your ceremonies, your traditions, self-glorifying or God-glorifying? Abandoning the commandment of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine, by the way, Jesus gets sarcastic. You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your own tradition, church. I have a really, really rough question for you. As you hear this story read and as you read it along with me, who do you imagine yourself to be in this story? Not Jesus, right? I mean, right? Nobody's, I mean, that's like definitely not, I mean, I know it's supposed to be like Jesus, but you, right, you're not reading this and being like, I'm JC. Okay, so, are you reading this story, hearing this story, and imagining yourself to be the disciples or the Pharisees and scribes? <clears throat> when the Pharisees and scribes read Isaiah, they thought themselves to be the righteous, the pure in heart, but actually Jesus just for a minute wanted them to see themselves as the ones who are hypocritical. That might be a good practice for us to engage in. Maybe, maybe instead of seeing ourselves just for this moment as like just the disciples, maybe, maybe, maybe we might want to put ourselves in the position of the Pharisee and scribe, the, the religious with the religious rituals and ceremonies, and just ask ourselves the question, are our traditions... Our ceremonies, our rituals, are they, are they bringing people in or are they kicking people out? Are they life-giving or life-taking? Are they God-honoring or are they self-honoring? As a church family, I think this is important for us to, to continue to consider. And because if we, elevate our, if we elevate our way of doing things to God said so, then we actually validate, we invalidate God's commands. We fail to love our God and love our neighbor. This is really serious language that he uses. 
Okay, um, so um, rituals. There's this ritual that we do actually every week. Uh, it's called singing. Have you heard this before? And I want to encourage you in this. Um, there's this really beautiful thing that's happening to us when we engage in the ritual of singing. We are not just following along with the band. We're not just singing to God. Here's what we're actually doing, what we're also doing. We're singing to each other. We're singing to each other. Uh, we're singing to each other the truth of the song. I remember being seated right here uh, uh, so many years ago, and we were singing, I think the song was It Is Well With My Soul, uh, which is kind of an old school, um, kind of a classic. And it goes like this. One of the lines is, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So we were singing that song. And I was just a few chairs down, just right down here, I was just a few chairs down from a woman who, uh, within the last year of that singing, had lost her, uh, her, her, her baby had died. So I'm singing, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it as well with my soul. But, but in that moment, I was struck by, oh, I, can I could just hear her voice too, singing with mine. Our, our voices were merging. And I thought, oh man, that's, there's something really powerful with her voice singing those lyrics. And when we sing together, in fact, uh, just to kind of conclude our time together this morning, um, we're actually going to have a moment just to sing together and actually hear voices raised up. And I, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're part of Desert Springs, you're part of this church family, I would encourage you to sing as an act of ritual that's shaping us. To, as we're involved, so, so this is so cool. When, if you actually listen to it, you'll hear the voices start to intermingle and create a unique new sound a unique new expression of the people of God. And so it takes all of our voices to do that, just like it takes all of our lives, our individual lives, woven together as a bunch of misfits uh, to put on display the manifold wisdom of God in this community. So when we sing, it's kind of like an audible representation of what's happening with our lives as a church family. We're putting the glory of God on display, and we're using a tradition to do it, but here's the deal. Remember that I'm asking the question, are our traditions, are our rituals, are they life-giving or life-taking? Here's something that we're, we're, we're leaning into. Uh, we're actually leaning into a lot in this season, but one thing in particular, there are members of our church family who, because of um, just some sickness and, and damage to their eardrums, they can't be around drums, and I'm a drummer. I love the drums, but they can't be around drums. And so we, we were really wrestling with this and praying, and we just thought, you know, I think the Lord moved um, in the conversation because we, we came to this space like, are we so tied to that expression that we're willing to exclude uh, this, this group of people who's not able to participate in our worship? And we said, that just doesn't, that just doesn't seem like the command of Scripture, right? The, the love our God, right? And love our neighbor, and so on occasion, and, and we've, we're trying to communicate this well, on occasion there'll be times where we gather for worship where we don't have the drums. Because for us it's more important, right, to elevate the commands of God over the traditions of humans. Is that making sense? Um, but I love the drums, right? So I actually brought a little drum track that I put in my ears. Just kidding. So Jesus here is not talking about that traditions are bad. It's when traditions are elevated to thus saith the Lord. And I'm actually going to skip uh, just a few. Uh, I would encourage you, um, note, go back and read through Mark chapter 7. So I'm just going to get ahead here um, to this really interesting part. Uh, it's all interesting, but he's talking about, you know, traditions don't clean us. Traditions don't make us uh, clean before God. 
Let me just get to, yes, perfect. Okay, I'm going to skip to verse 24. Um, what Jesus is doing in this, in this passage is he's making, uh, he's critiquing this idea that we've set up these cultural boundaries, these, these ceremonies and rituals that keep some people out and invite other people in. And then Jesus does something which is really powerful. He actually puts it into practice. So Jesus here is saying, he's not, he's, again, he's not slamming on ritual and ceremony, but what he's doing is saying, like, these rituals and ceremonies, you've elevated them to thus saith the Lord, and it's excluding people that I want to bring in. Your rituals and traditions are excluding people that I, Jesus, want to bring in. Do you see the conflict? And so this is what happens next, and this is nuts. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. So uh, that is a space that's not, it's not predominantly Jewish. Uh, some people refer to it as Gentile. And Gentile is just a, it's a weird word that often gets um, uh, translated in your Bibles. It's, it's a word that is either the word we have for Greek or uh, ethnos, which is the Greek word for the ethnic outsider or the ethnic other. And so Tyre was an ethnic outsider. It was a space of ethnic differences where they definitely had different ceremonies, practices, rhythms, and routines. Jesus enters a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, watch this, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. For those of you who have been following along, just a couple chapters before, you actually get a sick little girl. You have people falling at Jesus' feet. You have a person who's actually possessed by demons. It would, it would be really cool if you wanted to read uh, all the way up to Mark chapter 7 and see how in this woman you actually get a package deal of afflictions that have uh, already plagued people before. In this woman, you actually get like a package, a bundling of some of these afflictions. And she has the same posture as others, and she, she does what at Jesus' feet? She falls at Jesus' feet. Okay. Now, the woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, is, is this woman in desperate need? Okay. And, and she, she doesn't, from what we can tell from the text, she does not know much about Jesus other than he's a miracle worker uh, who's uh, like a rabbi or some sort of Jewish guy, right? He's, he's from like that, that Judean area, and he's a rabbi. He, Jesus, to her, is an ethnic outsider. She knows very little of him, but she knows something about him that causes her to come and fall at his feet. Watch this. The woman was a Gentile or an ethnic outsider, Greek, uh, a Syrophoenician woman by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Is that a legitimate request? Okay, is that a, a, a request that comes from a place of love for her daughter? Okay, what do you think Jesus should do? Should he say yes or no? He should say yes, right? Well, it's easy for you to say. This next part, hold on to your hats, kids. This next part is one of the most difficult statements of Jesus, and I'm not going to resolve the tension for us. Watch. Oh, real quick, what do we think Jesus is probably about to do? Be like, yeah, of course I'll heal your little girl. Watch what Jesus does. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? Now, here's what I think is going on in this text. I think when he says, let the children be fed first, I think what he's saying is, I'm here as a, uh, on mission to my people, the, the Jewish people, and I think that's the children. Notice the language of the bread. Jesus will refer to himself as the bread of life. <clears throat> he says... Let the children, Israel, be fed first. It isn't right to take the children's bread, the, the miracles that I'm giving them, and throw it to the dogs. And I have read uh, dozens of commentators try to make this not 
nasty, it's nasty. Now, by the way, Caleb in Hebrew means dog, so I can relate to this text. It does, look it up. Is, does this sound, Jesus called this woman a dog. In fact, she, he called all the people dogs. He's, right? Like, this is ethnocentrism, isn't it? He says, my people get it first, and it's not right for me to give the miracles that I'm giving my people to you and your people. Now, does that sound like Jesus to you? Is this confusing you? Does this feel like Jesus is putting up a wall? Does this feel like Jesus is setting up a boundary to not invite people in? All right, see you guys later. Okay, right, Uh, we can't end the sermon there, can we? Notice what happens next. Now, you got to remember that Jesus is smart and super loving. But Jesus also longs to shape us more and more into his image. And sometimes the tools that he uses don't make sense. Oh, um, hello. Have you ever endured, like, suffering and wondered, God, where are you in all this? And it seems like God is silent to you. And yet maybe for some of us, we look back at some of those seasons, we say, oh, he was with me. I just didn't see what he was doing at the time. Is that what happened to you? Okay, so at first glance, this feels like Jesus is saying no. But watch what the woman does next and then watch what Jesus does next. And also recognize that we're, we're able to read this in fluid motion. So watch what Jesus does. Excuse me, watch what the woman does. She replied to him, Lord, TV time out. As far as I could tell, this is the only time that a person refers to Jesus as Lord in the Gospel of Mark. Out of the mouth of an outsider comes a deep and profound truth about who Jesus is. And Mark does this all the time. In fact, in one of the last scenes in Jesus' life, you have a Roman centurion looking at the crucified Christ and saying, surely this man is the son of God. So this is kind of a device that Mark seems to use. She says, how does she respond? She doesn't say, notice she does not say, how dare you? She does not get in a huff and pound the table. Notice what she does. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She takes the, the metaphor and she enters into it. She views Jesus' statement as an invitation into a deeper conversation and she presses back in on Jesus. Have you ever heard of like, statements like, you know, pray without ceasing? Like, pray fervently? Sometimes, here's, here's this, really, like, this really interesting truth, that sometimes Jesus is silent in our praying because he's inviting us to kind of press in deeper. Uh, the ancient, some of the ancients had this idea, that they called it the dark night of the soul, where it felt like God's presence was completely gone and yet what it really was, was, Jesus, was God taking the milk bottle away, asking us to eat real food, to press in to Jesus. I think that what Jesus has done here is he has taken a reality of the day that there was rampant ethnocentrism. He sets the table to invite her to make an argument that he wants to make. Jesus invites her to make the argument he is trying to make. Because look at the context. He's just been talking about, let's not elevate our traditions up to thus saith the Lord and thus exclude people. He has come out of her mouth the argument that he wants to make. And here's why I think this is right. He said, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. 
And then Jesus says, then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Another way that Jesus says stuff like this is your faith has made you well. Jesus, in a hard circumstance, invites in the conversation. She makes the argument that Jesus is trying to make, and then he affirms this with a blessing and a healing. And then this is the end. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. So there are times where Jesus' presence just doesn't feel palpable, and I believe that this text and many others like it are an encouragement to press into that space. So we're going to engage in a ceremony now, in a tradition. It's called communion or Lord's table. So in the back of the seat in front of you, if you're joining us in person, there are communion elements, and I encourage you to grab those. Uh, If you don't have any, uh, where you're at, there are some available on the tables in the back. And for those joining us online, if you would please grab some uh, bread and wine or juice or whatever you have available to represent the body and blood of Jesus as we take of this uh, tradition, this sacrament today. Communion is a physical, tangible, tactile way for us not only to remember but also to be shaped. Not only to remember what Jesus has done, but also to be shaped as a community. For we take communion not as isolated individuals, but together as a church family. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pause and take a moment to reflect. And in that moment of reflection, I want to encourage you to consider the things that you've heard. To consider the goodness of Jesus that he invites us in to deeper conversation. And then I'll come back and lead us in the taking of communion. By the way, would you please prepare the elements now before we serve things and bring them in? So just take that top off and get the bread out and open up the juice. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll reflect. Would you join me as we pray together? Lord Jesus, in this act, we recognize that we are called to live according to the new covenant, We are to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, practicing, Jesus, your values on earth as they are in heaven. As we prepare our hearts, we recognize that we often fail in this regard. And so, Lord, we pray and confess that that we have not always lived according to your kingdom, that we have often propagated injustice and evil, we have often fostered disunity, practicing favoritism, elevating our own concerns and preferences over others. Moreover, Lord, we have often failed to show hospitality, love, and grace. We have often not lived out the fruit of the Spirit. We confess these things before you now. We repent from these things, Lord. We turn from these sins and turn back to you, Jesus, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. And we ask that your Spirit would continue to shape us into your image. As we take this communion today, Lord, we proclaim your finished work on the cross, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And we cling to you knowing that you are the one who brings salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation, and then in you, ultimately, all that which is broken and marred by sin will be restored. We pray these things in your name.
of communion is not something we do because we have to, but because we get to. In this act, we remember our Lord's sacrifice, his broken body and shed blood. We do so as a community, a group of people from all different backgrounds and walks of life, unified around Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. Giving it to his disciples, he said, take and eat, this is my body, broken for you. Would you take and eat in remembrance of him? the same way he took of the cup, saying, this is my blood poured out for you, the forgiveness of sins, which you take and drink in remembrance of him. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we love you, and we know that you love us, and we ask that through your spirit that you would change us day by day, more and more into your image, that we might be a people marked your love and your grace, your truth and your mercy. Father, we pray that our rituals and traditions would be life-giving, God-honoring and glorifying, and that they would continue to shape us. Father, forgive us for the times that we have elevated our preferences or our traditions as if they were your word. Lord, we pray that as a church family, continue to grow us and shape us that we might be good ministers here in North Phoenix. That this community would know of your love and your grace and your truth in and through us. And we ask these things, Jesus, knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring them about. So we entrust ourselves to you. Amen.